Hi, this is Richie Kotzen, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, it's Mark and John from Dirty Honey, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Yeah. What is going on, guys? This is Brian Cousins from Fame on Fire, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. episode 457 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, blues talk on the net. Episode 456 was a little while ago. We go back to February uh, since we put out an, an episode. It was late February. We had Damon Johnson on the line. Apologize for the delay, but we were working on uh, rebuilding ironcityrocks.com to give you a, a better uh, web experience. So, to make it up, we've decided to give you a jumbo uh, podcast with a ton of guests. We have joining us uh, Richie Cotson. Richie, no stranger, the show has been on um, several times. This time talking about a very cool new project with Adrian Smith of Iron Maiden. Uh, so we will get into that interview in just a moment. Also joining us, we have Justin and John for the band Dirty Honey. Um, if you've listened to the podcast before, no uh, great secret that I'm a big fan of Dirty Honey. I think they're a band destined for great things. And that great thing comes in the way of the debut of their uh, first full-length album. So we will talk about that. And also, Brian from Fame on Fire. Fame on Fire, uh, a band that uh, maybe not on your radar yet. Uh, they're kind of a genre bending uh, band that uh, kind of mix up some different elements of hip-hop, rock, metal, uh, almost in the way Linkin Park did. Uh, not an exact parallel. Certainly don't want to, to kind of paint them with a Lincoln Park brush, but um, I think fans will will find them very interesting. So first we're going to talk to Richie Kotzen. Richie obviously spent time as an incredible solo artist, uh, just released a collection of 50 songs for his 50th birthday, and I think that was 2019. Um it might have even been early 2020. It's hard to hard to remember those years kind of blur together at this point. Richie also spent time in Poison, Mr. Big. Uh, we even talked about a little bit about that in the interview. Uh, but his uh, new album is with Adrian Smith of Iron Maiden. Um, and if you have an opportunity, um, and I you go back on our Facebook page, I had an opportunity to talk to Adrian Smith of Iron Maiden, which was a, a great privilege about his book. Um, so he and Adrian, or, or um, Richie and Adrian got together, made a fantastic album. That album came out on March 26th, so it was very fresh. We'll play a little bit of that. We'll get into that interview with Richie Kotzen.
Major Rocks, we have on the line, Richie Kotzen. How are you doing today, Richie? I'm very good. How are you? Doing wonderful. Um, really excited to get a chance to talk to you um, again. We've talked a few times over the years about different projects you've had, uh, ranging from the winery dogs to some solo material. But this one, I think, is going to catch a lot of people's attention. Obviously, it's getting... Um, some great reviews uh, your collaboration with Adrian Smith can you I'm sure you've answered this ad nauseum but how, how you, did you and Adrian kind of cross paths uh, very very interestingly it was just by chance really um, I I used to go to this spot in LA um, back in the day it was a very popular place for musicians and actors really small private bar and um, I was in there one night, and it was kind of an off night, not very many people there, and um, the person I was with started talking to this woman about whatever they were talking about. And then I, I came into the fold, and, and uh, the, my friend said, oh yeah, well, Richie's a musician, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, you know, my husband's a musician. And then my friend showed some kind of like video of me playing somewhere in Brazil or something. Mm. And so then she revealed, oh, well, my husband is in Iron Maiden. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, my God. Like, you know, I, I, Iron Maiden was my favorite band for most of my youth. You know, I've got mm -hmm. two shirts. I, I had two shirts I would wear to school back then. One was a Maiden shirt, uh, and then the other one was a Black Sabbath shirt. So I said to her at that point, I said, oh, man, I said, I, I got to meet him. I got to meet him. And she said, well, uh, he's going to be coming to town, so uh, maybe you know we can make that happen. So that's how it happened. And it was just a random, by chance, you know, thing that, that my friend and I went into this place that night. And, uh, and that, then, you know, that's what led me to uh, this record. So, as I mean, you've been, I think, in a lot of people's eyes, kind of a guitar god for 30-odd years. I remember hearing your name well before even your stint with Poison um, you know is, is in that kind of Mike Varney uh, a group of musicians that all kind of came out at one time but you know for, for someone like me you know meeting someone like you that's you know like wow I met Richie Kotzen but what is it like to then take it up a level for you to meet someone I mean you've obviously met lots of musicians over the years but do you still get kind of fanboy when you know you're presented with that opportunity you know, it's interesting. I've pretty much met all of my heroes, if I think about it. I, I mean, I re remember we opened for Bad Company, and I had a conversation with Paul Rogers. I was at Prince's house for an Oscar party. Gene Simmons became a client of mine when I owned a recording studio in Los Angeles years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, now with Adrian, Eddie Van Halen and I shared a guitar tech, uh, and, and I met Eddie... Uh, that way and, and uh, had plenty of one-on-one -on -one conversations so it's kind of crazy it's like I really you know the, the biggest people for me in music you know would be Prince uh, Gene Simmons because of Kiss when I was young it's kind of yeah. what made me want to play the guitar when I saw those posters and uh, you know Eddie you know was probably the biggest impact on me as a player so it's pretty crazy you know I kind of uh, I kind of like checked them all. Met them all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. When when yeah. you approach, how did the idea? You know, you go from meeting someone to to saying let's make an album. I mean, that's a big leap. I mean, yeah. I've let lots of people, but no one ever asked to make an album with me. 
Well, you know, here's how it happened in this instance, is that we, uh, my wife and I would go over to Adrian's L.A. house, and they would have these holiday parties. This happened a couple of times. And there's a room there at the house that used to be like a screening room, and it's now like where Adrian's studio gear is and all his mm-hmm. guitars. So we'd go in this room, and, and it'd be like a jam session. you know. And, and each year would be a different set of people that would show up. But we'd always kind of play the same tunes, you know, like ZZ Top or Bad Company and stuff like that, you know, right. classic rock. And so I, I knew right away that you know, Adrian's singing lead vocals, he's you know playing the blues on the guitar. It's like, okay, I, I relate, you know, to this, and it's, uh, you know, I can tell that we have a lot in common musically. And then out of that, it was his wife that said, you know, you know, you guys should try and write something together, both home and you don't have anything going on for time being mm-hmm. and that's what happened I think the first song I remember us actually finishing was a song called Running it, which is on the record obviously and then once we got to Scars I, I thought you know hey we're really onto something this is very interesting and so uh, that's really how it started do you do you find when working with you know certain musicians it either just clicks or it, it doesn't when it comes to the chemistry you know and when you listen oh, to this yeah, you guys kind of you, you weave in and out of each other's playing and the singing meshes together so well I mean is that just is that something you can force even you know say you guys hit it off as a friendship no. it's a, okay no I mean <coughs> excuse me no I mean there are probably situations where you know a company might get involved and say okay we need you to collaborate with this other artist and then they just make it happen and there's probably a producer involved so I mean that stuff probably happens, but in, in the in my world, you know, if I'm so I'm so adjusted to just doing everything on my own, you know, I've resisted signing recording contracts for years, you know, because I just wanted to have the creative flexibility uh, to do what I want to do creatively, and so um, in a situation like this, uh, it's either going to work or it isn't. So you know, it's like if we would have got in the room and it would have been weird or, you know, mm-hmm. like pulling teeth or, you know, nobody has any ideas. Well, it wouldn't have went anywhere. It would have been an afternoon, you know, together, and then we would have went about our business, probably still maintained a friendship. But, you know, it, we got in there, and it was like, you know, one thing led to the other, and we've got, you know, all these ideas coming out. So it was very natural, you know, which is great. You know, that's the way you want it to be. Um, and, and, and also that that dictated the direction of the records. Sometimes people want to know, oh, well, how did you decide what style to do? And it's like, well, you never even have the conversation. You just write what you write, right. and then that's where the style comes from. Yeah. Was it, you know, I, I think of, you know, you've got a very, I think, distinct singing voice, and in a lot of ways, you know, when I think Richie Kotzen, it's it's hard not to think of a guitarist, but more and more as I listen to your music, I think singer. It's almost like a Glenn Hughes effect where sometimes, you know, it becomes so distinct. But, you know, does that kind of drive the style? Like if he had come in with, you know, maybe some bombastic riffs that, you know, more in a maiden style that maybe didn't work with your voice or his voice. I mean, he's not he's not got that Brute Dickinson kind of thing either. I mean, does that kind of dictate maybe a direction as well, you know, with the bluesiness of your voice? Yeah, that's what I was, I guess, yeah, you just kind of 
paraphrase what I was trying to say. Like, that's it. It's like, you know, I sing the way I sing. You know, mm -hmm. I grew up listening to those guys that I listened to, you know, like Glenn Hughes, for example, or mm -hmm. David Coverdale, Paul Rogers. I mean, <coughs> in, in, the, <coughs> in the rock world, those were my influences. So, um, so yeah, that, that's part of your, your signature sound. And so, you know, like I said, like the music, you know, the, what, what we wrote dictated the style and the sound. And like you're saying, because of instinctively how we sing, you know, the, how we hear harmony and such. So um, that's really what, what why the record sounds the way it does. I see uh, on the album you had Nico do drums, and you also had uh, Tal Bergman, who I think a lot of people remember from his time with um, Joe Bonamassa doing drums. When you, when you're trying to decide who might play on these songs, you know, from a percussion standpoint or, or anything. How do you, what, what kind of consideration goes into that? Is it the track you think, hey, this one might work better for his style of playing? Because I don't necessarily think of those two drummers in the same genre, necessarily. Right. Well, actually, I have to tell you, it's funny. Tal and I, actually, our relationship predates what he did with Joe. Um, mm -hmm. We met, I was 26 when I met Tal Bergman, and we uh, played together on and off since then. And when I uh, went to Japan, I opened up for the Rolling Stones on one of their tours, did five or six shows. I took Tal with me in 2006. He was my drummer. So we've, we've been working together on and off for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And we got to a point on the album where, you know, I had played drums, and I don't know how many songs I played on. Is it five maybe that I, I played drums on? And then, so there were remaining songs that needed to be addressed. And I think Adrian, I'm pretty sure it was Adrian, said, you know, maybe I could get Nico to play on one of them. And then the one that we decided was this song called Solar Fire, which I think Nico did a fantastic job, just really took it to another place. Um, so that was really cool. And then with, um, with Tao, uh, we had been working together uh, I did um, some shows uh, with him in a, a show in Miami and then another one on, on a cruise on, on a uh, Monsters of Rock cruise mm -hmm. so I, I figured well Tao would be perfect to, to you know have come in Tao is one of those guys when you play him a song in the studio he says alright give me give me 20 minutes or 10 minutes whatever it is and he'll sit there with a piece of paper and listen to the song a couple times and then he says oh I'm ready and then he goes into the drum room and literally nails it. I mean, yeah, he just plays the thing like he's been like he wrote it. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of one of a million, and, and that's what I, I think of. You know, as a drummer, he just seems to have such a breath to his playing and ability. It's mind-boggling. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's he's, he's great. The um, so as the songs went on, I mean, you guys have nine songs on the record. Do you, how many songs did you end up kind of putting together to come up with those nine? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, uh, that's pretty much the record, you know, what we have there. I mean, once we felt like we had the goods, then we, we just kind of focused on fine-tuning those. And so um, one of the things that I mentioned, you know, it's a nine-song album, but to me, I like that. I, I remember the days when I was a kid and I had an album. You know, I'd have a Led Zeppelin record or a 
Bad Company record, Free. You know, be seven, eight, nine songs on some of those records. Yeah. And, and for this album, I, I really like the way it flows, and it kind of takes me back to, you know, my youth a little bit, stylistically, and, and just the, the overall vibe. So um, I think we did the right thing by not getting too crazy with, oh, how many songs can we write? As if, instead, I think what we did was we thought, well, let's get what we have so that we love it and we don't have any regrets and then we'll we'll have a good record you know there's something weird happens i don't mean to ramble but it's like when i'm working on an album at some point you know i'm in work mode but at some point i become the fan and then i start listening over and over through the speakers and and then i'm just enjoying it and then that's when i know okay you're done you know, anything else yeah. you do you're going to ruin it yeah i think there there's something to be to be said for you know and I've seen a couple other artists starting to, uh, I don't want to say a trend because you know it, it does depend on the artist but I'm seeing more and more artists becoming comfortable with the idea of seven eight songs of quality songs and it, it always takes me back to like Van Halen 2 which was just like the perfect amount of Van Halen I don't need more I didn't need a 13 minute jam in it to make it perfection it just was what it was but How many this, songs were on that record? Ten on Van Halen 2. But you figure there was, you okay. know, that included some, you know, instrumental type things. And, you know, you're, and it just, it was just enough. It wasn't too long. You know, you don't, you, no one's worried about filling a CD anymore, which is, I think, in a lot of ways is kind of nice. You know, people, if they're thinking of anything, they're thinking, you know, do I want it to fit in one vinyl record or two? But, you know, right. bands aren't making a 72-minute album for the sake of making a 72-minute album so they can fill a CD. I um, think that happened when, when CDs when CDs came out. I think people got a little wild and thought, mm-hmm. "Oh, we have to fill it." You know, but now I, you know this sounds a little crazy from a guy that just made a 50-song album. Yeah, you that you, you do, right? did kind of <laughs> contradict yourself there on that one, but <laughs> anyway. But yeah, I mean, it it is. Um, you know, when when you think about it, and, and you know the the attention to the sequencing, so that you have the ebb and the flow, so you're taking the you know the lister on a bit of a journey is is you know there's an art to that, and that that um, comes through in the record, so it's very commendable. Cool. Do you guys? I mean, obviously, touring plans are just not even worth asking. But I mean, do you guys have kind of a hey, you know, let's stay in touch? think about doing something down the road or you know is it just back to the day jobs so to speak well yeah you know it's we gotta wait and see you know our plan we released this thing in march and part of that plan was to tour in april you know because we made all these decisions before covid Mm -hmm. and we made them based on other commitments you know i had Four continents of dates booked with for 50 for 50 for that mm-hmm. record. Of course, Iron Maiden had tons of shows. So we picked this window as the perfect window, and you know, thankfully, we were able to keep the release. Sadly, we can't tour, but we're right. talking about it. And at least in the United States, I'm seeing some people are out doing doing shows. So maybe there's something there for us later in the year where we can get out and perform. Um, We'll have to wait and see, you know. Yeah, I think it, 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 you know, the the touring industry, you know, is to the point where you know maybe a band like Maiden may struggle because of the fact that that it's not an inexpensive tour to to take on the road. You know, you've got 
rigging and lighting and stages and all that stuff. But you know, if you could hit clubs, that much, you know, maybe be a little more agile, fly-ins, kind of things like that, might be much more conducive. Um, so it would be great yeah. to see, great to see some live music. Um, and I'm sure, you know, someone like yourself who's been doing this for so long at such a high level, you've got to be kind of like a tiger in a cage, ready to get out and. Um, well, you know what's weird though for me, I got to be honest. Um, I didn't realize this until all my dates were canceled, but I, I, I needed a break. You know, mm-hmm. it's interesting as a musician, you get an offer and it's like, oh, we got five shows for you in Brazil. You want them? Yeah, great. Or, you know, okay, you got three nights in Japan. You, mm-hmm. you want to go? Great. You don't, you don't really turn down those opportunities. At least I, I didn't. I would always say yes. Mm-hmm. And by saying yes all the time, you don't really realize what's going on. And once I was home, I mean, I haven't longed for the stage all year. It wasn't one point in the year where it was like, wow, I really miss getting on the tour bus, or I really miss, you know, digging through my suitcase looking for that hard drive or whatever I'm looking yeah. for. So I didn't know that I needed this break until it happened. Now, nobody wanted what happened to happen, but somehow I managed to, you know, make good out of staying home, and I think it was important for me to have this reset. Um, and so, you know, I don't know when I'm going to go out again, obviously, but it has to be done in a way that's safe. And, and you know, we don't want to be back in a lockdown again. So yeah. we'll wait and see, you know, once it's vaccinated or whatever they're going to do, then we right. can go out again. Yeah, and I think that's a great attitude is, is to kind of use this time to, you know, recharge the batteries and, you know, keep all your your stuff in one place night after night and you don't have to be worried about getting a toothbrush from the front desk and all that stuff although the kind of misery that goes on behind the scenes when you have to tour um i I imagine that can be can wear on a person um have you been writing any material for anything for your own catalog or or anything with the winery dogs or, or any other irons in the fire i have um I have a couple of songs that I wrote, uh, one that's totally finished, and it's kind of crazy. My my wife came into the studio and said, what in the world are you doing? I never heard anything like that come out of you. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, you know, I did this song that is still kind of, you know, it's not totally done, there's some fine tuning, but Stanley Clark and I reconnected. Um, we have this thing that we're throwing around. Uh, maybe it'll come together, you know, wait and see. Uh, but other than that, that's it really. You know, I've got, uh, I've got a lot of time and, and energy invested with Adrian on this record. And so sure. I really believe in this record. I think there's something really, really unique and special about this. And you know, not to discredit anything I've done, but I've never really done a record like this where there's two lead singers mm-hmm. two lead guitar players that were sharing 50-50 and it seems to be working really well so I, I need to really focus on this and give it the attention that, that I think it deserves you know and then you know, after that runs its cycle then we have to see what's next you know uh, do I dive in and make another record with Adrian or does mm-hmm. he go back and do an, a Maiden album cycle I don't know what's going to happen you never know sure. and like the pandemic taught us you really don't know what's going to happen yeah I think this, there's forces beyond our control telling us what we can do um, when, when you and Adrian play uh, do you 
have kind of a natural, you know, obviously every guitar player has their own stamp, but when you go back through this, or, you know, when you're, you're kind of charting out the songs, how you want to perform them, do you just sort of, do you have in mind who's going to do what, or uh, do you just kind of give each other space, do a little, see how it works, and, and adapt from there? Yeah, I think it's, you know, a little bit of both. I mean, sometimes one of us would come up with something and it'd be obvious that that person would sing that part you know like mm. um, Scars for example you know Adrian came up with the melody line and the vocal in the beginning there so you know made sense for him to sing it and then I came in with the second part you know and, and the chorus so some of the stuff just spelled itself out and then other things you know uh, we we actually you know just try, well, try and sing that line. Well, let me try and sing it. Well, I don't like the way I sound. Like it. You sound better on that line. You sing it. You know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Is this, uh, have you been in many situations throughout your career? I, I couldn't think of any off the top of my head, but where you've had to work with another, well, not had to work, but you know, the pleasure of working with really another singer where you're kind of a singer as well. Obviously, your time in Poison was a slightly different situation, but... Um, in you know where you're kind of sharing vocal duties. Yeah, I I got like a taste of it. You know when like you brought up Poison when I mm. was in that band. Brett actually, Brett was very into me singing. I mean he was he encouraged me to sing. I mean and I think there's a mm. couple songs on that record where we trade off lead vocal. I think there's a song called Bring It Home. Okay. Where we're trading off. There might be another one. So you know. I got a little bit of that kind of action, uh, you know, on that record. And then Eric Martin and I, uh, we had a, one song I remember called You Don't Have to Be Strong. I don't know if that was a B-side or where that song ended up, but we uh, we did do that in the studio and, and shared the, the lead vocal. And live, we used to trade off on a cover song on, on 30 Days in the Hole. Oh, but yeah. reality is, yeah. The reality is the answer is no. I mean, not to the degree of what I'm doing with Adrian. I mean, we're literally, you know, it's 50-50. There's two lead singers in this project, you know. So this is really a a first for me. Well, that's fantastic. Well, Richard, I want to thank you so much. Again, the album is available now, um, the Smith Gotson record. Um, people can pick that up. You got a beautiful vinyl package and CD and all the digital stuff that everyone has. So, I want to thank you so much for your time. Encourage everyone to give it a listen, man. Great, thanks, man. All right, a big thank you to Richie Cotson again. The Adrian Smith, the Smith Cotson, I believe, the official name of the band. Uh, the album is out now. Uh, that was a, just released a few days ago. Uh, Tal Bergman plays drums on that. Tal, uh, another veteran of the show, was on a couple of years ago talking about his material. Also, Nico McBrain plays drums on a track so say no more a fantastic record not quite as heavy as the Iron Maiden stuff you might be used to uh, but when you listen to Richie's voice and, and if you know what Adrian's work in Urchin sounds like it does not come off as a big surprise but blends very well so check that out going to turn our attention now to a band who this will be their third uh, appearance on the Iron City Rock show we had an opportunity to talk to um them right before we kind of went in full lockdown mode a year ago as they were working on their first full-length album and now we have the pleasure of 
uh, saying that it's done. We've had a chance to listen to it. It is amazing. So we're going to be joined by guitarist John and bassist Justin of the band Dirty Honey. So let's play a little taste of the new album. John Noto, Justin Smolia on, on the line. How you doing, guys? Good, man. Good. How you doing? Doing wonderful. You guys are set to put forth your first full-length album, and I want to thank you as a fan right away for putting eight songs and no fluff on the album. Um, was that a deliberate... Well, thank you for saying that. Was that a, a kind of a deliberate kind of throwback to, to some of the, you know, 70s, early 80s bands who, you know, didn't shove 80 minutes worth of music on an album? It, it's not a tribute to anything. Um, I think it's more taking advantage of there's no physical, real reason to put filler. We don't mm. have, there's nothing to fill. With you know, uh, you can release music in any amount that you want. And of sure. course, you, there's always the pressure to have a, a decent sized catalog. And if we had more great songs, we would. We had more songs, um, but they just fit really. These eight fit together. Yeah, they really fit. The three that didn't make it um, are are the ones that push the boundary a little bit, and mm-hmm. I think they need a little more grease and a little more oil. But it wasn't it wasn't really a tribute to anything specifically. It was just um, if we don't have to put filler out, why do it? Or if a song's not fully cooked yet, why do it? So it, that left us with eight songs. When when you talk about a song kind of cooking, that's an interesting thing because I think a lot of people think you get together, the four of you bash out a song, and, and someone just hits record. How long? You, what's the lifespan on some of these songs that did make the album? Like as far as you know. Maybe they were there a year and a half in your catalog, and you kind of retooled them, or you know this one wasn't good enough for the EP, but we went back and rewrote the bridge, and now it's, you know, we love it kind of thing. Well, nothing on this record was written for the EP, but a lot of it was um, written on the road. Um, you could probably find live versions of at least three of the songs mm-hmm. um, that we the record that we did on the last tour. Yeah, and I think that the uh, much like the EP, uh, the writing experience does run the gamut of uh, length of time. For example, uh, California Dreamin' actually um, <clears throat> had the uh, least amount of spent the least amount of time um, being cooked, so to speak. Uh, just it, it it was the last one to come into play, and it just happened to be that good and inspired us. Um, 
versus like you know Justin said some of the stuff some of the stuff we've been performing on tour and then some of the some of the riffs I had been like writing since uh, spring of of 2019 um, and you know just trying to like push them on the guys during sound check and the guys were jamming with us like right. Gypsy we would just jam it but you know it, it took a long time to you know in between the shows and being too tired to <clears throat> see it through um, so it and that first EP was like that too there had been songs that were you know uh, a couple years old to really a few years old and then some that just got birthed right. in the studio so um you guys, um, I, I notice in sort of a Van Halen way, everyone's credited, you know, the writing uh, on the liner notes. Yeah. And, and, but there's a lot of riffs on this record. I, is it? Do you guys have sort of the way a song gives birth, maybe as a riff, and then you guys kind of jam out, uh, you know, the drums, bass, and then, you know, Mark comes yeah. in and puts the vocals in, or is there a kind of a, I don't want to say a formula, because songs are never a formula, but do you guys have a kind of preferred way of writing? Uh, I think if there's if there's a preference, the only preference is just that it has to start with the strong musical element, like the riff. Mm-hmm. After that, I mean, I think each each one has a different story as to how it came about, yeah. Yeah, as to, as to how the final decisions you're hearing came about. Um, some of them, you know, uh, <clears throat> except with the exception for the ballads, Mark has pretty much written those himself, mm-hmm. essentially, you know. Um, and we do we do spread it around uh, in terms of writing credit um, for everyone taking part in the arrangement and and the rehearsals. So um, we don't we we don't want to have a situation where you know uh, one guy literally got all the writing credit well everyone else got zero yeah. uh, we don't want to we don't want to staying in the band <laughs> yeah that's it I think you know you, you, know, you, you um, if you guys are you know if you ever read the rock and roll biographies your know, autobiographies that always comes down to that you know and it's amazing more bands don't kind of adopt the diplomatic approach you know because everyone does kind of tailor their own parts for the most part unless you're you know a, you know a Boston or something where one guy is kind of cooking the whole song you know Justin's going to come yeah, up with the exactly. baseline, and you know, might you know, we'll throw in a guitar idea or whatever. And it's the democratic approach sometimes works better long term. Um, I, I talked to Mark about a year ago, almost exactly, and you guys had just come off doing the the Harley Davidson session, which was a really cool thing. But okay. you, how hard has this year been for you guys? As you you know, I know you guys were kind of held up getting to the studio getting the album done but I mean as you're you're getting ready to give birth to this baby of your first full length album how hard is this kind of being handcuffed on what you can do uh, it's been extremely depressing <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I mean the record definitely came out way better we got a lot more time to rehearse it and mm-hmm. tweak everything and I think I preferred I mean I loved making the REP in Australia it's like the studio there is like literally in paradise. Yeah. But um, to do it at Hinson and to do it at such a high quality studio definitely, I think made us all up our game a little bit. Also, like John Mayer was making his record next to us. Yeah. I actually got yelled at because my bass was too loud and was bleeding into his vocal mic. Let's spice um, up some of his stuff. <laughs> the 
Did you guys have to have to? <laughs> yeah, I, I got credit on his album also. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Did you guys have to kind of be careful not to because you had more downtime than you may have had in in a normal recording process? Kind of have to fight off analyzing your playing to death. Is is it kind of hard to, to for you to say okay that line you know that bass line that Trump fill that whatever was good enough it captured the raw energy we need to stop trying to make it perfect well as far as the the actual recording we did the whole record in six days okay um so there actually wasn't a lot of time to do that I mean mm. I don't think any song was more than seven or eight takes of okay yeah um but there was obviously a lot of prep work going into it so we were pretty well rehearsed to get in there so any of that analyzing I think I personally had done beforehand but I'm also the kind of person that likes the spontaneity and right. the improvisational sound like and I've said this before that like I feel like California Dreamin' really actually captured that more than any of the other songs because that was the newest and you know we were trying stuff out in the studio while we were recording and I think that's part of what made that recording so awesome. Yeah, I think sometimes you get that enthusiasm around a new song, and sometimes that that spills over into the recording of it. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a double-edged sword. Um, I listened to this album, and this is man, it is I, sometimes comparisons might be inappropriate, but I listened to this album, and it reminded me so much, and I don't know why specifically, uh, but it reminded me so much of Rocks from Aerosmith, and just the energy. I love that. The rawness of it. Yeah, I mean, um, that's interesting because I, I in the quarantine, um, did, for the first time, like really like learned the album rocks. And the interesting thing is, a lot of the songs though were kind of already mostly written, so it's not as if it really right. affected the songwriting. Yeah. Right. And it was just me. It's not like the other guys like decided right. to learn rocks. But I had just happened to. Learn. I also just you know I went on this like I was like what am I gonna do with my time? You know I don't usually learn a lot of solos kind right. of thing. So I was like yeah I was like you know I'm gonna learn like David Gilmore solos. I'm gonna learn rocks. I'm gonna learn uh, some of my favorite David Lindley uh, solos on Jackson mm-hmm. Brown records. So I spent some time with that, and I, and I think you know already with. With Mark is such a massive Aerosmith fan, yeah. and um, he's he is just by proxy of being the singer, the sort of final arbiter of what's going to kind of go through. Mm-hmm. Um, that maybe that's just you know his he's naturally tuned to. That he only picks songs that sound like Aerosmith. Yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's just like, does this sound well? Yeah, that's not true. <laughs> that's <laughs> what. No, uh, but maybe. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, or I'm not. No, I, no, I'm kidding. Um, oh, ah, no, you know, my, I, it's a great compliment. Um, I think it's the swagger. Yeah, it's not necessarily, you know, a, a, when I say, yeah, I say that, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, it's. I think it's a swagger thing because we, we, what we're doing is, is, uh, if there's something more than anything else that I, I would be like, yes, we're bringing something back. It's that, yeah. it's, it's. Big swagger, but but great songs, and musicianship on great songs. I think, I think there's still great songs, but in this world today, of course, with new music, but it's not as much musicianship. It's it's programming, hmm. and 
I think that somewhere in maybe the 90s, like, musicianship went out of... It wasn't even cool to be... Yeah, it wasn't cool to be good. It wasn't like punk, but it was like, you know, that whole grunge guys are good, but not as good, and then, like, post-grunge is worse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, because, like, the 80s kind of went a little too far with the technicality of musicianship. Yeah. Yeah, it's really slick and, like, tapping, and it's, like, all the wrong parts of Eddie Van Halen, like, took over every guitarist. And I feel like, hopefully, we're doing what Guns N' Roses did. Mm-hmm. Uh, not by sounding like them, but just like, hey, this is great songs, but it's also greasy and swaggerish. Yeah, we just we want it to feel like you're shooting from the hip. Yeah. Yeah. But great songs. Because also, retro rock, that, that lane, we also noticed, is sort of like bogged down with guitar player-y stuff. Yeah. You know, and yeah. dude, listen, I love guitar playing. I can geek out on guitar player-y stuff. At the end of the day, I want to take a solo after a great chorus. Yeah. I don't want to just play like a blues riff on a fuzz pedal. And I feel like it, like the retro scene's kind of laden with that. Yeah, it's not. We're not a band where it's like waiting to get to the solo, but when you get to the solo, it's awesome. Yeah, it's like a third chorus. Yeah. It's, you know, it's yeah. the bridge. You know, so. Exactly. And I think it helps. And I look at your band, and I don't say this band is a clone of X, you know, and I think some of the bands that have had success in that arena, when you look at it, you say, okay, that sounds exactly like, you know, the 1978 release from so-and-so. You know, you guys, I think, even just by by the fact that Mark doesn't sound like, to me, I don't listen to his voice and say he sounds just like Steven Tyler or Chris Robinson or Rich Robinson or, you know, yeah. Um, you know, there's a uniqueness to his voice. There's a uniqueness to the style of the band. Um, I think the fact that it's a four-piece actually makes it really cool because we can listen to to what Justin's doing a little clearer. And just just for from specifically to you, when when the songs do you tend to embellish a little bit more? You're playing during the solos, or is you know to kind of fill some of that sonic cavity that's lost by you know John's chord playing. Mm-hmm. Pontificate on that, Justin. <laughs> pontificate. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what does pontificate mean? Um, uh, he's talked too much about it. Oh, there it okay, is. I can yeah. Do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's. I. I really um, like. I love Cream, uh, and I love Van Halen, and I think those guys did it too. Where like you, I really want to blow John up when he's playing his solo and. Right. Can you Make, also just do the sound bite of that where just where he said that he really wants to blow John? <laughs> just later. <laughs> Cut it right there. Cut that. And maybe yeah. loop it. <laughs> yeah, we'll have that on TikTok. <laughs> yes, dude, you're going to blow up. Okay, continue. Um, but yeah, I like having the freedom um, to just play a little bit more. And mm-hmm. um, I, I don't ever like to play anything twice, really, exactly the same way. I like to make it a little different every time, so it's more interesting for the listeners a year mm-hmm. and for me myself I just get really bored playing the same thing over and over again and if you see us live I'm not going to play what's on the record and I, th- I don't think John will either yeah. exactly but well I mean, you'll quote it you'll yeah. it'll be like a you're good at doing the parts that like oh, this gotta happen oh yeah there's, yeah. there's yeah. parts that have to happen and then there's sections where you're like let's get crazy yeah if you, you like I, I think with both of us you can tell which fills if we're talking fills and uh-huh. like the little add-ons mm-hmm lagger moments you can tell which ones from from the record that we think are iconic 
so we keep those. And then there's other moments where it's like, well, this is always going to be the crazy moment where you don't do the same thing. Yes. You know, and you find those moments. And you have to fine-tune that, too. I remember, like, after the first tour, somewhere mid during the first tour, Mark was like, you're kind of going off a little too much to me. <laughs> and I was listening to one of the shows. It was like Nashville. And I was like, yeah, I'm kind of just, I'm doing the drunk Jimmy Page too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you fine-tune where you can wiggle and where you shouldn't. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a great. It, it, it's great that everybody's doing that, and it's not the bass. To your point, to your question, like Justin's not taking the role. Just like okay, I just play bass. I hold the low end notes. Like it's also a, mu- a musical voice. So yeah, that that can you know propel the energy. Yeah, it really does. Now, um, have you guys been able to look at any live events yet? I mean, outside of you know webcams and the such, is that even on the radar at this point still? Oh, um, well, we have, you know, there, there's, there's, uh, we have a schedule filled with uh, things that say TBD next to them. But, uh, sure. <laughs> you know, th- there's, a, there's a cool tour in the summer that with another artist that would be really cool, but it's just, the thing is, it's a bigger artist and, and it, we, it literally is just dependent on all the states opening up. Yeah, we're probably in a good position to jump out and do maybe some festivals in the fall because we're a smaller organization. Mm-hmm. You know, we can fly in, fly out, but none of it is in stone, so we just can't announce anything. I'll tell you what, though, as soon as we're allowed to do stuff, we're going to be doing it. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine you guys are going to be kind of like uh, tigers in a cage, waiting to kind of get out, and it's going to be fantastic when we finally get to that and. You bring up a great point about how is a, is a smaller organization. It's not a knock. I mean, you guys are a pretty young band. You know, we, yeah. we keep surmising. You know, will 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 the X Y Z tour go on this year? And you, you think about it from a business standpoint. A lot of those tours, unless they can guarantee that the whole routing is going to be open back up, they don't make a lot of sense. You know, just to you know for crew yeah, exactly. and merchandise and all that stuff. But you guys, you know, could benefit. You know, from you know, being able to play some smaller venues, clubs that may be opening up, and, and you know, kind of work around that. But you know, the giant Live Nation tour sometimes are—that's a whole living, breathing animal that uh, might be very difficult in yeah. 2021. In a, yeah, in a strange way, our in this situation, the level we're at is benefits our abilities. We can turn out a profit. Probably. Yeah, like we're lucky that we're not touring with big sets or TVs. It's just like literally the four of us and our road manager. Yeah, and I think there's something special about that. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I, I love a Def Leppard show with the lights and the, the videos and stuff, and that's really, really cool. But sometimes four guys, you know, two amps, a PA system, and a drum kit is, is really all you need. And I think at this point, people would eat that up, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's we, – we sort of want to take the energy, the, the chaos, the debauchery, the um, – the rawness of our of our our breeding ground at the uh, at the the basement the, at the basement tavern. We want to take that to the arena, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, it doesn't mean we wouldn't do lights and videos or whatever, but we want that that feeling that of just feeling, a bunch yeah. of maniacs crammed into each other <laughs> yeah, going insane. Like I love going on YouTube and finding like a home footage sort of of like a gun show from like 92 you know 
Like I found one. It was like Madison Square Garden. It just looked insane. It looked awesome. You know what though? I have to say, when you go back and watch Guns, though, I'm assuming you've seen the Ritz show from '87 at some point. Yeah, on yeah, it. yeah. Guns and Roses could have ended the day after that show, and it still would have been perfection. You know, in just a raw, sweaty <laughs> yeah. club, and you know that was. Yeah. The, I didn't need the bloated Guns and Roses in giant stadiums in Tokyo and things like that. You know, give me that. Uh, yeah. Give me the Ritz, and, and that was good. That's yeah, one thing. I, there, there's a swagger and a and a thing to the Appetite era that they never had again. That's yeah, I sure. think. And I mean, Slack too. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think it, it's it, there's something you know when you when you get behind the scenes of all that and the way the albums were made and some things like that that there was kind of a disconnect that you know they didn't have when they made Appetite that uh, you know it almost yeah. became so inflated so popular you know it became a giant business um, and kind of lost its its way there a little bit but anyway you guys debut album um, what's the street date on the album April 23rd April 23rd so we got about another m- month to hold on for that but uh, it's gonna I think from Having a listen to, I think it's going to blow people's socks off. As good as the EP was, you know, this is one X, one point five X the uh, the EP. So people are going to love this stuff, and it's going to be great to see you guys once we get you back in town. Thank you so much for the time today, guys. Thank you. A big thank you to John and Justin again. Dirty Honey's album will be out in late April, so uh, highly recommend you can check out their website. Uh, you can order the obligatory uh, pre-release version of the vinyl and some different t-shirts and things like that so I invite you to check that out those guys are destined for great things and finally another band that's really making waves I've seen a lot of these guys on the internet um, kind of caught my attention uh, the band is Fame on Fire uh, they did some and we're going to talk about this in the interview and I, I won't go into it here and spoil it but we talk about kind of a unique approach they had to coming up to their first full-length album, which is called Levels, which was released in 2020. They now have a deluxe version that has been re-released in 2021. So we're going to talk to Brian Kuznets, uh, vocalist, uh, singer, uh, great, uh, defying genre band. Uh, So we're going to play a little bit of Fame on Fire, get into that interview with Brian. It's okay, it don't really matter if you see it my way. Finger on the trigger, no it's not. There's no way out Surrender to me now
welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have on the line Brian Kuznets of Fame on Fire. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, John. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you guys. Or you had a video out now for it's okay for like an hour now, so it's kind of cool to uh, get a chance to talk to you guys. Um, after the, you guys have been making a lot of noise with with kind of some one-off cover songs and things for a while, and then. You know, I think an impressive debut full-length album. Can you talk about, you know, kind of from going songs here and there, cover songs, to, you know, we're going to make this our own, you know, full-length type thing, how that process went? Yeah, for sure. So we we started doing cover songs really to build ourselves an audience for mm-hmm. people to pay attention to us because, you know, in the uh, modern day and age of, not even just rock music but music in general it's really hard to get noticed Mm -hmm. and so we came up with this game plan that we were gonna do covers make a lot of content make a lot of noise sure um and get people to kind of look at us and pay attention to us before we started really showing the world what we had in our back pocket which is you know some really sick songs and so once we had once we built up that audience of people that were interested in what we had to say how we sounded, so on and so forth. Then we're like, okay, it's time to start releasing, you know, the songs that we're really passionate about that, you know, we wrote in, we have a lot of emotional attachment to. So we started releasing them to the world with some really cool visuals and some cool music videos. And uh, here we are today. Did you guys, I mean, this is, uh, I can't think of another band that's that's kind of done that approach that seemed, I mean, I, I think of, yeah, this goes probably way back before your time, but I think of like Quiet Ride, which kind of made its name covering a Slade song. But I mean, for you guys to go out and, and approach that almost with like a marketing vision to say, okay, we're gonna, and I, I, I have to applaud you because it's brilliant. You know, you, you know, you look and you tailored to people who might be into Little Uzi. I mean, which is obviously not a rock audience, but you caught their attention. You did Ed Sheeran. You did, you name it. And you really did get noticed for that, but then you know now people know your name. You can kind of hit them with the you know you, you hit them with the jab for a while. And now you're coming with the with the right cross. Was was that? I mean, where did you get that idea? Or is that just something you guys hatched? I mean, it seems so brilliant. It, it was kind of something that it wasn't anybody's real idea because um, we we started doing covers as kind of in accident so um we we started we started this off it wasn't supposed to be a band it wasn't supposed to be really anything mm-hmm. um long story short uh we were, we were going to do a cover uh, a drum cover our drummer was going to do a cover of drum cover of katie perry unconditionally right. and then we decided to do eventually it as a full band and then we weren't even a, really a band yet right. and it got pretty popular and so we saw the success from that and we're like Let's try and recreate it, and so we did it again. And we're like, okay, this is this is actually a platform that we can get, you know, an audience built, which sure. the platform being YouTube and just all social media, really. Um, so, you know, we realized that we had something special, and so we're like, let's build this audience up, let's get bands on our side, and then we'll release our original music. Now, the interesting thing about doing like you know rap songs too is we didn't really know how to make that work at first because yeah. that was um it was a bit of a confu- confusing thing to do like transitioning a rap song with triplets and all these intricate type of verses 
and mm-hmm. melodies into a rock song. And so I really feel like we took that head on and did it really right. Um, and that also, and so what that did was that brought over a lot of these people that never listened to rock music, could care less about it, and it brought them into the realm of rock music, you know, introducing yeah. new fans into the world of rock. And so it was a really, really cool thing. And so those people have just stuck with us, and now we have a very like diverse fan base who loves all sorts of music now, and they really like Sam on Fire. Yeah, and and mission accomplished. I mean, it is, and it's cool to listen to as as someone who's been around. You know, you remember when Aerosmith and Run DMC got together, and that was kind of like a a monumental moment. When I listened to you guys, I was like, you know, these guys are cool. They kind of remind me of a little bit less angry Lincoln Park. And then I started going back and looking at some of the stuff you guys did, and, and really listening to the lyrical content of levels and, and let's kind of go past the covers into levels but I, I applaud you guys for kind of making the little tongue-in-cheek remark about the cover band right out of the shoot on the first track but um you've got a solid collection of your own stuff and, and you guys really built this yourselves i mean there, there, no producers and things like that it was that I mean, obviously, it's a great way to save cost, but, I mean, what was the the catalyst of kind of doing this homegrown approach to the album? Um, well, we've always been that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I So, myself, I'm a producer, an engineer, and a songwriter. Okay. Um, our bass player, he's a producer, engineer, a songwriter. Our guitarist is a producer, songwriter, and... Yeah. Uh, one of our best friends is a producer, engineer, songwriter. So we have like all the ingredients to make a really great record by ourselves. So yeah. why would we not try and do it? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, and, and, it's, and so it's smart. Yeah, I go mean, on. You know, you're not getting into that debt that a lot of bands get into when they do get. You know, the bands that are able to get on with major record labels end up going into so much debt before the album even sees the light of day. You guys are able to. To probably do a lot of that at your own, you know, your own elbow grease, as opposed to paying, you know, the hotshot mixer and and that kind of stuff. That's well, we did we did pay for the hotshot mixer because I didn't want the uh, responsibility of mixing our album because yeah. it was just too stressful. Um, but yeah, it wasn't. It, we weren't doing it to save costs. We were doing it because we could do it. Right. You know, we didn't we didn't feel like we needed anybody else. I mean, like, we're still... We're working on LP2 currently, mm-hmm. and we still have that, like, same mindset of, you know, we don't really need anybody else, but, you know, this time around, we're more open to working with new people who want to have their input in on what a Fame on Fire song should be. When you so, when you looked at the material that you guys, you know, wrote yourselves, I mean, obviously, there's some great... Um, lyrical content and I think you guys go in a, in a lot of cool directions there but did you look at where you were able to attract you know when, when you did the the cover songs you know it's it's almost I think a, like akin to somebody's maybe fishing where you're trying different parts of the musical industry to see where you would garner the most attention did that go into in play into any of the song selection of how you kind of put the material together for levels itself you know maybe the hip-hop element you guys maybe did a little bit better in the covers than you did with, let's say, Ed Sheeran or whatever. 
but did that yeah. kind of look at how you mix when I don't say mix the album from a technical standpoint but where you put your types of songs and where you let your influences kind of shine yeah yeah that's a that's a great question actually um what I think it, it didn't come down to anything like you know this this genre of cover does better for us mm-hmm. than this one does because um, to be fair the best cover the biggest cover we've ever done is a straight up pop ballad cover mm-hmm. of Hello from Adele but um, we didn't we didn't want to take it in that approach we wanted to take it in an approach that you know felt more natural to us in what we really enjoyed listening to which is you know the newer hip hop the emo trap type stuff so that right. was the mindset we were way more gravitated towards that kind of music than we were to you know butt rock or pop music so mm-hmm. that's how that's how we perceived ourselves and that's how we wanted to move forward on writing levels was to have those elements of hip hop in it but you know still keep it rock and still keep it sounding like fame on fire can you talk a little bit about the I'm assuming that the levels at least from my ears is kind of a metaphor for you know as you progress through the album and the different contents and things is that Am I off base with that, or, or can you touch a little bit on the title of the album? No, you're actually dead on on that. It's it, that's exactly what it is. Like each song is like kind of a different level to life and emotions mm-hmm. and the way that you're feeling. Mm-hmm. It's it, you know every day is a new day. Every day is a different challenge. That's really what the whole album is about. Yeah, I, I think when you listen to it, you certainly wear your heart on your sleeve. Um, this, the track "Scars of Love." I, I have to. Can you talk a little bit about that song in particular? You know, when I, I listened to the album, that was the one song that I would say, "Well, that one's." I, they're all different, but that one really kind of jumped out of me. Can you talk a little bit about that particular track? Um, yeah, you, you want me to talk about lyrical content, how it yeah, started? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so what was the inspiration behind it? Um, well, the inspiration behind it was from a lyrical standpoint was just being in a not so great relationship and you know then carrying on these like negative feelings towards relationships into mm-hmm. your future relationships so you know it's really it's really about me not being willing to open up to anybody new in my life because of you know my troubled past that I've gone through in other relationships mm-hmm. um, that's from a lyrical standpoint now from a songwriting standpoint it was um, Blake had this really really cool guitar yeah. loop going on and it sounded great and we were like hey <laughs> let's make a song about this let's make a almost cheesy love song but it's not a cheesy love song because it's kind of about having a, a bad experience in the past with love yeah, yeah, I think that it's the the lyrical content takes beyond cheesy. I think, and um, you know, when I list, like I said, you you kind of wear your heart on your sleeve in your your singing, and I think you know your your vocal delivery. I think really helps drive that home. Do you Thank when you. you when you sing and, and you you write a song? Um, you guys have unfortunately haven't been able to take this material out on the road, um, you know, too much yet. But I mean. Do you, when you're performing these songs, of when you write about things in your past and pain and, and things you've suffered, does it, are you able to kind of distance yourself from the material, you know, when you're past that point in your life? I, I think about this when I, I think back to bands like Creed, 
you know, who, who you could tell that Scott Stapp used to write about some kind of emotional parts of his life, which is, I think, what drew people into the, you know, some of the songs so so tightly. But then, as the singer who's going to deliver this song, you know, potentially for you know, sometimes these songs that take a life of their own. You might be performing them for years. Are you able to kind of distance yourself from the pain, or when you sing those songs, does it kind of bring you back into the moment of when you wrote it? You know, what you were feeling when you put the pen to paper. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I I think that for me at least, writing the song is already a therapeutic experience. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, getting it out, it's a relief. You know what I mean? Right. Um, it, it's it's really interesting because in the moment you sing it, like you're always nervous when you have the lyrics mm-hmm. and you're about to show the boys in your band. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it's definitely like I'm I'm nervous during that time, but like it's also therapeutic when I write it out, mm-hmm. and then it's like okay, I gotta revisit this and show show these people what I wrote. Um, but when it comes down to it, though, like you get out there on a stage and you're about to perform you know, these songs that, you know, kind of have emotional trauma to them in the background of them, but you have fans that sing along to these songs with you that connect to your lyrics, and there's nothing better in the world than having a group of people that can relate to you and have gone through similar things that you've gone through, and yeah, it's it just, it makes it all come full circle, and it makes it all okay. It makes it all easy to deal with. So yeah. I, it, it, for for me at least, it's not going to be. Oh, I have to relive this trauma. Mm-hmm. It's more so. It's like we're all sharing this trauma in a sense together, and we're all getting past it. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. I, I always wondered about that. You know, when you when you listen to somebody who sang, you know, maybe a, a great breakup song or you know a song maybe about you know a depressing time in their life i think of my own prison from creed is always one that i i I kind of think about and think you know when when you're out there doing that song 15 years later what is that you know do you kind of mentally go back to the place you were when you wrote the song or you just living in the moment and and letting the people enjoy the song and it's it's a well yeah i think it would be bad if i was back in the mindset of where I was at when I wrote the song. That's yeah. when I think it would it would be like it'd be like, Wow, I'm I'm back here again. It was crazy. Yeah. So as long I, I yeah, I, it really just depends like how much your mindset that day. The um now obviously this pandemic came along and, and kind of messed up everything for everyone. But um as we get yeah. towards the you know the light at the end of the tunnel, however close that may or may not be here as we talk in March of 2021. But yeah. What, uh, do you guys, are you able to make plans for 2021 to take this on the road or, or, you know, try to capitalize on the momentum you, you've got with, you know, the popularity on YouTube or how do you approach kind of taking the, the music to the people? Obviously you've, you've used social media to your benefit. Yes. Um, we, we are in talks of going out in 2021. Um, nothing's confirmed yet, unfortunately, but I'm sure that very soon there will be some things that are confirmed because uh, we've been sitting home now for a year mm-hmm. and we uh, really miss the road. We really miss our fans and I'm sure our fans really miss us. And so we, we want to go see people. We want to go play shows. We want to go have fun. Um, but we've, yeah, we've been staying you know, busy on the internet, staying 
busy on social media, you know, posting as many new videos, as much new content as we possibly can, whether it's on, you know, the Fame on Fire YouTube channel or our Instagram or Fame TV. So we've been, we've been staying active, as active as we possibly can while not being on the road. But as far as 2021 goes this year, um, we're definitely going to hit the road. But just nothing's confirmed yet. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to hear how many musicians have had to become social media experts in the last year and a half. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, too much time to, you know, sit around and think, so you got to keep yourself busy. So it's, it's great to see the, the, the level of engagement artists have had with fans over the last year has been, I think, good both ways. Um, plus it keeps a, you know, a yeah, young band like yourself. Yeah, there's some and big be- winners in this too. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It's, like there's it's, people that really took advantage of it. Yeah, and, and it's it's you know I I think it, you know a band where you guys where you're not worried about you know you have your studio at your disposal you have several producers in the band you know you 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 really can benefit from some forced downtime um, to really be be creative and that that's that's a good thing. I, I think you know it, when yeah, this exactly. pandemic started, I remember thinking if there are bands that don't release material in the next two years. They're really just going through the motions because if you couldn't find time to write some music in the last year, and there's certainly plenty of stuff in the news to write about. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of content. Yeah. You know, like even just your own isolation. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, there's a lot to write about. I, I don't expect to get too many songs like "Walking on Sunshine" to come out of 2020, but uh, there should be some some good. <laughs> Uh, realistic material. So, Brian, I want to thank you so much again. The album levels it's available now. Um, you guys are all over YouTube and uh, Spotify, but um, obviously you can check out FameOnFire.com, get all the information on the album. I want to thank you so much for your time, man, and hopefully we'll see you in Pittsburgh before too long. Uh, we will be back in Pittsburgh very soon. All right, that about wraps up a mega episode of Iron City Rocks. I want to thank Brian. Of Fame on Fire, Justin John of Dirty Honey, and of course Richie Cotson for joining us. Uh, all of those musicians have material out. I invite you to support them, and, and not just these guys, but any of your favorite bands, uh, local, national, your next door neighbor. Uh, musicians are still struggling. Um, we're starting to see, uh, at least in the Pittsburgh region, we're starting to see some clubs, smaller venues with shows, a couple outdoor things. Um, but you know, in talking to some musicians, I think full on mega tours are going to be tough to, to do in 2021. Um, so a lot of these guys are, are, you know, rely on, especially these younger bands like a fame on a fire, dirty honey. They're they you know, they're bands that really would sell their oats in the live venues, but unfortunately it's very difficult for them to do that right now. So I invite you to please check out them, support musicians the best you can. Uh, through this time we want to thank you for listening to iron city rocks you can find us at our new website ironcityrocks.com same url totally different website check it out let us know what you think we are on facebook instagram youtube twitter snapchat and tiktok uh, if you are uh, into that uh, actually a lot of people bash tiktok uh, but if you um 
can kind of weed through the crap quite frankly there is some really cool musical content out there um i think it just matters what you search for if you just let it show you stupid pictures of people crushing beer cans then that's what tiktok is but if you search out a lot of really cool uh, musicians have some really cool stuff on tiktok so check that out give us a follow if you don't mind uh, you can drop us an email at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. That has not changed, even though the website looks a little different. There's also a contact link on our homepage. Let us know um, what you're into, interviews you like, interviews you don't like, artists that we've not touched on that you enjoy. Let us know. Uh, unfortunately, only have a finite set of ears and a finite amount of time, so we can only listen to so much. And I've uh, been blessed enough that the inbox is no shortage of music more than than anybody could listen to um so we appreciate any suggestions of somebody we might have overlooked or um something that you enjoy that you'd like to hear from so drop us a line ironcityrocks at gmail.com uh, i promise it will not be nearly as long between episodes we have some fantastic interviews already done that will be coming out shortly so there will not be a month between 457 and 458 so watch for the next episode coming very soon until next time thank you for listening (laughs) 